Welcome to Fantasy Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam. And Anna. And let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And today we have a very special guest, our great friend, fitness fanatic, and all-around good guy, Nick. Who told us to read this book? (laughs) (laughs) So, we have an awesome uh, set of chapters set up for us before we dive in today. We do have a couple Q&As for our friend Nick here, who was the one that got us into reading The Name of the Wind. Yeah, so our first question was, how did you find Name of the Wind and, like, start reading it? So, I had a friend recommend it to me probably back in, like... 2010 it was like right when the wise man's fear first came out and i was like all right like i'll give it a shot and literally read the book in like a day and a half wow could not put it you read more books than like anyone i know so (laughs) that's not really too surprising (laughs) um our second question was your favorite character all right if you have one yeah it's definitely hard to decide because i want to choose like all of them for different reasons but i'm gonna have to say like my favorite one is probably Elodin because he's just so like weirdly eccentric and just like this crazy professor and it's so hard to tell whether he's like completely full of it or actually legitimate and I'm still wondering. <laughs> Good thing, uh, you know what's funny? Get a decent amount of Odin in these chapters, yeah. too. Um, Anna made a really funny comparison, and I never connected it before, but um, Odin is definitely like a Dumbledore esque character, and I never really thought about it. Well, Dumbledore in the books is very like whimsical and weird. Like, his entire speech, I think, their first year is like, I have three words to say. Nitwit, Oddman, Dwarfers, <laughs> like something really weird, and like that doesn't translate into the movies. So I forget how fucking weird Dumbledore is, but he's really, really smart and really powerful. And like Elodin's kind of the same way. Oh, yeah. Obviously not for the same reasons, but like they portray him as just kind of like bumbling and odd, and everyone's like, yeah, whatever. He's strange, but he's so powerful. Yeah, and like, like, like you could tell, like deep down, he's like this wise guy, but you're still, like, not sure the whole time, so a lot of mystery around him. That's why I like him. And, the, like, the chapters that come up, he definitely kind of proves his merit as far as being, like, a good namer and knowing what he's doing. Yeah. But what I was going to touch on really quick, just part of his character that I find really fascinating is um that whole section early in the book where Kavolt approaches him and he wants to lear- learn naming from him. And he, like, sends him off in the woods. He's like, find three pine cones. <laughs> and he, like, goes after him. And he's like, what did you learn? He's like, that you want to be left alone. And then he, like, brings him to the rookery. And it kind of alludes to the fact that Elodin at one point spent time here and, like, escaped on his own. And that, like, powerful knowledge comes at a price. Mm-hmm. And we actually see that, you know, coming up in this set of chapters. But, yeah, he is a really cool character. Uh, oh, and the last question was, like, the best, I guess you could say any book you've read this year, because you read so many. Um, I was going to say best fantasy book you've read this year. Um, best fantasy book I've read this year, you, know, you guys know I'm a big Stephen King fan, so I'm reading the Dark Tower series right now, which is very fantasy-based. Um, if you've never read it, highly recommend. Really good. A lot of weird stuff happens in it. It's, like, part Western, part sci-fi, part everything. That's cool. One of the doctors I worked with was recommending that. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. Is yeah. it a series of short stories or is it a singular plot? No, it's it's a singular plot. I think there's seven books. Actually, there's like a um, there's like a sub book off of it too. So it's technically eight. Um, I hear cool. the ending sucks. Right. Though okay. I haven't finished it. I don't know. I don't know about this ending. Oh. We'll, we'll find out. Was that the determined. first one Stephen King ever wrote? No, it was. He started it like early in his career, but he continued it all the way up until like. Stephen King got started in the 70s, and I think he finished the last one in, like, early 2000s. Wow. Wow. Good for him. That's cool. If only Patrick Rothfuss would finish this series. (laughs) (laughs) Doors of stone, we are waiting. I know. Not so patiently. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, should we get into it? Yeah, we can dive right on in. Take it away, Sam. Chapter 84, A Sudden Storm. 
I love this whole series of events that occur in this chapter. So we have Kavoth over in Imre kind of walking along and who does he bump into? But Denna. Denna. Oh God, after trying to find her always, Ooh. she finds him. I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> She just frustrates me to no end. I just want like, to know what... He's been looking for her... Sorry, I, w- I want to know what happened to Patrick Rothfuss to make him write this character, because she is... Right? Like, right, like, she's so psychotic. Like, what girl were you so hung up on that you could not get close to or establish a meaningful relationship that you had to write, like, the unattainable denim? <laughs> know she's like mind game after mind game after mind game like she's just so bad for him i know um but it's so frustrating because he's been like desperately looking for her after trayvon and you'd think that like spending 40s in the wilderness with someone and like going through all these ordeals you'd be like oh my god there you are we never got to like discuss the aftermath and she's just like oh hello kvo here's so-and-so my new date and he just has to like pretend it's all fine yeah like she he always does so i don't know she just really frustrates me I will say, though, even though it's a very casual interaction, I kind of like how she's like, I want to know how, what happened. But they, the way she phrases it, it's almost like it breaks a fourth wall. She's like, I didn't get to hear the end of the story. And he's like, oh, you know, uh, the hero slays the dragon, but misses the treasure and misses the girl. Mm-hmm. Which was like cl- kind of cleverly written in a way to kind of s- summarize what actually happened in Trayvon with the Dracus. I think she also says she doesn't like series of books or stories because he was talking about like there will be a next time and like they're in a book series so i just thought it was a bit of irony hmm. yeah i think it's kind of interesting how um Kavoth, it kind of shows his insecurities about denna like he basically just saved her life after denna resin poisoning and is all worried about like oh is she gonna be cold and all this stuff so that's interesting as well. Yeah, he never feels like he's good enough. It's like, you saved her life, you did all these nice things for her, you helped her out of, like, a tight spot in Trayvon, and then he's like, is she gonna be mad? Is she gonna hate me? Yeah. Is she gonna think I abandoned her? And it's like, he just thinks he'll never, ever, ever be good enough for her, which is weird, because, like, she's not that good to him. No. Right, and everything else Kavoth does in life, he's super confident about, except for Denna. Yeah. She is definitely his, like, Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she just kind of leaves because she says she's late for something. Yeah. And he like goes and meets up with Will and Sim after this. Ah, mm. uh, the homies. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I know, they're just good, they're good friends. They're great. But we do hear some stuff about Dennis Patron, I think. Um, actually from Will and Sim, um, who I think oh, it's, yeah, I think it's like Will that mentions, story. yeah, Will mentions that, that he was, she was traveling with Kavoth to look for her patron but it's also like, I don't know. I kind of thought Denna said that she knew that her patron was safe. So why is he actually traveling with you? I, it's either Will or Sim that's like, oh yeah, she likes you. She likes you. But I'm wondering if that's kind of some kind of foreshadowing about Denna's patron. I know because I, I do have some theories about Denna. I think Denna. it's a bit of foreshadowing because like her patron is very mysterious. And this whole situation about it is mysterious. Like I don't understand why she was. Like, I need to go find him in the woods. Like, that doesn't... It doesn't really add up to me in general. Mm-hmm. Especially because he was the one that, like, found her and was like, wait here, and then left. So the fact that she's like, I have to go look for him. I don't know. It just, like... It seems strange. The whole interaction is weird. I her, think it... like, intent goal of, like, going back to the farm seems strange. And it almost seems like she was supposed to, like, get Kavoth there for some reason. Like, I don't... I feel like that whole part at Madeline Farm doesn't add up from Denna's end. Like, what she tells us she's there for. No, it definitely... So, I've read this book, like, four times now. And, like, the first one or two times, I felt like it was partially, like, building up suspense. And I kind of took the series of events at, like, face value the first time I read this book. And when Willem does say, like, hey, it doesn't add up, that was the first time I kind of even questioned that whole sequence of events. And then on my second and third reads, I was like, yeah, it really doesn't. And so we've mentioned on previous episodes that I'm convinced that Denna may be willing or unwillingly or or unknowingly working with the Shandrian because she, like, always happens to find him and he can never find her. 
there's a whole part in the previous section where when she's under the influence of the dinner resin, she's like, oh, it's my job to know things and pay attention about you. Well, even like Nick just said, like in the book, Simmons, like, oh, she can always find you. She must really like you. But I have to wonder if it's like she can intentionally find him and he can intentionally not find her. That's interesting. Could be like a dowsing compass thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, they just kind of write it off as, like, oh, she was a little delirious and she must just, like, be looking for an excuse to spend time with him. But I do think it's, if they mention that there's a hole in the plot, like, I feel like it's very intentionally there. Yes. You know, that's an interesting point about the fact that, that Denna can always find Kavoth because Denna starts finding Kavoth again around the time that Kavoth meets up with Debbie and gives his blood. I've never, oh, literally shit. never thought about this before until you just said that. So, kind of just spitballing here. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it had something to do with her patron, but I think it is a little before then. Yeah, because... Like, I thought her patron was somehow helping her find him, but... Like, what a coincidence that he finds Denna again after all these years that he spent in Trayvon, and then all of a sudden there she is at the, um, the Aeolian. And, and then they just start making this connection. No, it's true. Yeah. <gasps> and out of all timings, it was, like, more than perfect because he was performing for the first time, you know. He was playing the song. She happened to be right there, right when, like, he technically needed her most when he didn't realize it. Mm. Yeah. So it definitely almost seems more than, like, chance. Like, it definitely seems almost like a divine intervention or planned thing. I don't think Debbie, like, intentionally sold his blood to anyone, but I think it would be easy for someone powerful to get a hold of it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, if the Shandrian were looking for it. Yeah, they could easily get it. Definitely possibilities. And so, yeah, um, I kind of like the whole interaction with Simon being like, she's definitely into you, and if not, Fela is definitely into you for saving her <laughs> life. Like, Think about what options you have, dude. Like, stop, like, obsessing over Denna. I think it's good that he should not be obsessing over Denna, but it is funny that Fela and Simon end up together. Yeah. Will and Sim are, like, the best wingmen ever. (laughs) I know. I know. They're perfect wingmen. They really are. He does not deserve his friends. No, he doesn't. No. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a jerk. All right. This is, like, the crux of the book. I know. This... Every time I, like, read this section, my hands always start sweating, like, I swear. What an episode to be a guest on. This is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Quite literally the namesake of the book. Well, I figured since you, like, told us to read the book, you get the part where the name of the wind actually happens. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, as they're sitting there chit-chatting, Kavoth turns and looks, and his loot case has been opened, and his loot is gone. Guys, my fists are clenching. And who has it? Ugh, I know. none other than Ambrose. Like, this whole book, all this confrontation and them, like, digging at each other and it just, the ag- antagonistic actions that each one of them have taken against each other, it's all built up to this. Like, Kavolt's prized possession is in Ambrose's hands and Kavolt can't even. Like, he... <laughs> I mean, Ambrose knows, it's... <laughs> Ambrose knows it's important to him, but the fact that, like, he had his father's loot and lost it, and this is, like, his replacement, and it, in his mind symbolizes, like, all he has left of his whole family, too. So it's just, like, way more built up than oh, I think yeah. even Ambrose expected. Music is his lifeblood. Yeah. <laughs> like, music is everything to him. Something and... that you mentioned earlier, though, is, like, throughout the entire conversation he's having with Will and Sim, Kavos kind of noticing aspects of the wind. Like, he says something about, like, the leaves rustling and stuff like he's paying attention to it subconsciously yes as he's talking to will and sim and then he's able obviously to like call it down in a few minutes but yes there's two parts during this whole interaction will and sim by the fountain near the aeolian where they describe the wind uh weaving around in complex patterns and the leaves like flying around and kavote is like subconsciously taking note of it and i don't i think part of it is written to kind of have, like, these foreshadowing clues so it's not just random, like, and then the wind came, but I think Kavot is paying attention because he is fascinated, and the whole reason why he wants to learn naming is to call the wind. Right. Uh, I just didn't even notice it. Like, it was just a background sentence in my mind. Yeah. yeah I didn't notice that either. Yeah, I think I no idea. <laughs> it does a good <laughs> job of adding dimension to the scene, and it layers the complexity of the plot. Yeah. It's really cool. 
His writing's very intentional. Kavod has no time for this. He's, like, internally freaking out, but looks calm on the surface. He's like, no, not again. Like, please don't do anything. And then literally just, like, the venom in his, like, mind and him just chanting, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) Dude is, like, ready to murk. But he's, like, so calm about it. And then Ambrose was expecting him to, like, give him a bigger eyes and freak out. And so the fact that he's just, like, give it back. Like, there's no, like... yeah drama to it, which is very un like He probably should have just realized he'd gone too far immediately. <laughs> like, yeah, put it down and walked true. away. Usually, Ambrose and Kavoth have these, like, spats and, like, arguments where it's very expression, like, it's very high energy, yes. Yeah, and it, this one, like, he just skipped over all of that and was like, give it back or I'll kill you. Yeah, just yeah, very, immediately, like... Very dramatic, like... That's very un like to just be so direct about things. So I thought that yeah. was interesting. And like Ambrose just being such a shit. He's like clearly trying to get revenge for the whole um, Jackass Jackass song. Yeah, but his song sucks. Oh my god, his song is the good. worst. It's not yeah. even funny. Like, go play your liar or whatever it is you play. I forget what he plays. Yeah. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> and so one thing that I picked up on this time around while reading it is like the mini song, he says there's once a ravel named Kavoth, which within this series is like a a racial or cultural slur against the Adin Maru. Ravel? Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of thought that was interesting because obviously he's like insulting him on like many a level with this song. It's very like Draco Malfoy, like you filthy mudblood type thing. Yes! Yeah. Yes! Absolutely. It's, um, I listen to a podcast about Harry Potter, and they always talk about actually how really lazy Malfoy's insults are. Like, he's not creative with them. He just, like, always makes fun of how poor Ron is, the fact that Harry's an orphan, and the fact that Hermione's a mudblood. Like, very lazy, very simple insults, and it's just, like, mean, but he's not looking, like, trying to be creative in his insults in any way. It's just, no. like, he found the one thing about each person that he thinks is the worst and, like, keeps harping on it. Mm-hmm. Hence why he sucks as a villain. At least Ambrose is a little more creative. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely more creative, especially when he, like, buys the golden pony out from under Kvothe and stuff. But, like, this song is not as good. But, uh, I mean, it makes Kvothe, obviously, angry enough to freak out. Oh, yeah. Internally. And so when Kvothe demands his loot back, Ambrose kind of nonchalantly is like, some people can't take a joke. Catch. And, like, ugh. Just heartbreaking, like, hearing the description of the loop flying through the air all awkwardly, but since it's, like, bottom-heavy, it, like... And it, I'm kind of surprised by this, because usually it says, like, Kavoth always has such, like, clever hands, he's very dexterous and coordinated. Yeah, he, that's true, he just totally misses it. I think because he's so emotional, it's just, like, he overthinks it, and the uh, loop smashes into the cobblestones, and, like, he I picks it up. he describes the sound as, like, he calls back to his father's loop being broken, but he also says it sounds like a wounded animal. So, like, it's very much alive in his mind, and Mm. it's a very sad sound. Yeah. And then I love that the next part, it's very much like the Avatar state, where, like, he, like, opens his mouth as if to howl or cry, and then instead just... Something entirely different comes out. The name of the wind just, like, comes out, and... Oh, it just... I the way I imagine the scene is so cool. Like the wind whips through the courtyard. People who are close by, like their clothes and hair, like start whipping in the wind. People's uh sheet music and notes and papers are flying around. A whole horse cart is like pushed on its side and like sliding across. And Ambrose straight up gets like struck by the wind and like cartwheels across the courtyard and like slams into the ground. Yeah. I was not expecting this to happen at this point in the book. Like I thought the name of the wind was going to be just like an elusive quest for Kavoth. Mm. I didn't expect it to actually happen. And I thought that like the first time I read it that the Dracus was like the climax of the book. So then when this happened a couple chapters later, I was really surprised by it. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's like a there's a YouTube video that like a fan did for this, um, and it it portrays the scene very wonderfully. I think it's animated. Um, I don't know who does it, but definitely worth looking up if you haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah no, that is really, really good. good. I really like that animation. I think one thing I really enjoy about the entire series and this scene as a whole is that. Anytime they have alluded or described, like, a deed or act Kavoth has done, it's always in a way you weren't expecting. 
So I think in my mind when it was like, you're going to call the name of the wind, it was going to be in like an altruistic way to like save someone or like he did it just for him or like the whole series of deeds and events in the back of the book where, you know, it talks about like I burned down the city of Trayvon, I've met Fleurine and lived to tell the tale and he's done all these deeds and acts. It's always in a way in which you weren't expecting well, that's kind of the whole point of the book is that, like, Chronicler's here to get the story behind Kaboth. Yeah, the real story. Mm. So. And so it's funny that the name of the wind and him calling it and this big quest that he wanted ever since he met Abinthe and wanted to learn to call the name of the wind, he calls the name of the wind as, like, a powerful strike against an enemy, which is probably never what he thought he was going to ever call the wind to do. Well, you're not supposed to use sympathy in naming for, like, bad things which is how he ends up on the horns in the next chapter yeah so very cool stuff ambrose gets wrecked and forever the good friends of will and sim they see everyone in the courtyard by the olean coming out and like freaking out like did you see that the wind you know all these papers got blown around and that kid got attacked it was him the boy with the red hair (laughs) and will and sim are like Come on, we gotta get him out of here. Yeah, like, just skip him out and get him out. Cheese it, like. Cheese it. <laughs> I like that they take him to. <laughs> I like that they take him to Kilvin. I know, of all people, like we don't know what to do with him. <laughs> Bring him to Kilvin. Like I would have brought him to the Medica, probably. I actually probably would have been the smartest choice, but. Because they keep saying that they think that Kavoth hit his head, or maybe that's like how they are convincing themselves of what happened, but like. Will and Sim are trying to explain, and Willem's explaining that, like, something's wrong with Kavoth, he's not responding, um, and he's, like, acting kind of dumb, and his eyes are, like, glazed glazed over. over. So they're not really sure what happened, and then even Kavoth just kind of says he can, like, hear their words, and he knows the words, but can't make any sense to them, so he's clearly just, like, dumbstruck. He's, like, in shock. Yeah. Until Elodin comes in. Very clandestine Dumbledore moment to, like, somehow just knew they were all there, shows up. Yeah, he, does anyone explain how he knew they were there? Well, I'm sure word got around fast, like... What happened? Yeah, either that or maybe he just kind of... Maybe it's almost like how in certain books magic leaves its mark, like, naming leaves its mark in, like, the environment. There was, like, a disturbance and he, like, found out. Oh, maybe, I don't know. I just assumed he was, like, so powerful he knew what was going on somehow. I kind of think it's interesting that he, he knew to go where Sim and Well took him to Kilvin. Because, like you guys said, like, Kilvin, of all people, like, why? And how did he know that they were there? It's There's definitely something going on there. Yeah. I think Elodin's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. Exactly. So he, like, grabs Kavos' face and is kind of, like, looking into his eyes and then says, he... Arla Vesdi, which I think is supposed to be the name of the wind. But Simon knows what he said. Like, Simon knew that word, so I don't know if that's the name of the wind or if that's wind in a different language. I think it's, like, a common... Or not a common. It's a different language of the word wind, like, maybe, like, a Latin term oh, in this maybe. world because there's always an ever-changing name of the wind mm-hmm. within this series, so maybe that's just, like, a name for wind. Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. You were talking about this earlier, Sam, but he, like, looks into... Kvothe's eyes and Kvothe, like, feels him, like, going deep into his consciousness, which I think you were saying is, like, because you know your mind has, like, your subconscious sleeping mind and then, like, your regular mind? So I think he, like, went into Kvothe's sleeping mind and, like, closed it off for him because he was just stuck. Yeah, it was, like, a storm of, like, anger and rage and confusion, and it's the first time his sleeping subconscious mind has, like, come to the forefront. Yeah, so I think that's why he was just so dazed. So somehow Elodin, like, got him out of there. I don't really understand what he did. Yeah, it's cool. But he's clearly really powerful. Because he basically closes the door to Sleeping Mind, and then they describe as if, like, when you're a kid and you're spinning around for, like, way too long, and then you stop, and the world spins around you, and you, like, drop down, and, like, it's such an intense and quick transition from his Sleeping Mind to his waking mind that his, like, brain can't even handle it. So he, like, topples back in the chair with his arms, like, flailing out, and he, like, screams for a moment because it's just, like, such an intense experience. Yeah, I like this bit because um, he says it directly to him, and then he comes up and, like, whispers it to his ear. So, like, him saying it directly to him is, I think, him saying it to his waking mind, and then that close-up whisper is, like, that 
direct link to the sleeping mind. Oh, that's, that's really smart. Cool. I never thought of it like that. I always thought it was just almost as if he was like speaking the name of the subconscious and it created a reaction, but it makes a lot more sense of like him physically hearing the words helps his mind actually like transition. Well, he when he says it out loud, he says Erlevesti, which is the word that Simon recognizes, and then when he like leans in and whispers in Kavos' ear, which he said is like speaking to his uh sleeping mind. It's just as he spoke dot 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 and like we don't hear the word and anytime naming happens in these books we don't actually hear any of the actual words so I think yeah that makes a lot more sense. But I think that's pretty much the end of the chapter like Kaboth it feels better after that and he is definitely like scared by what happened but by the time he is better Eldon's just like gone. Yeah he's like a G he walks in fixes stuff and then just walks out doesn't say a word. Classic. It's a very badass power move. Chapter 85, Hands Against Me. Will and Sin take Kvothe back to his room at Anker so he can just, like, rest after this. He spends, what, 18 hours sleeping? Insane. I wish I could do that. (laughs) Uh. I I need my 18 hours. (laughs) Actually, I think, Sam, you were sick last week. You slept for, like, 14 hours one night. (laughs) And I was still tired. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I wish I could sleep for that long. That would be confusing though like what day is it (laughs) (laughs) um but like way the beginning of the book when his family dies do you remember when he goes into the woods and it says there are like four doors your mind can go through when it's experienced something traumatic it's like the doors of sleep the doors of forgetfulness the doors of something and then death are the last like the most extreme doors so he like is calling way back to that when he goes into the doors of sleep so like He's recovering from this trauma, essentially. Very cool. Yeah, nice callback. I'm, like, so impressed with the amount of callbacks in this book that are, like, 500-plus pages apart from each other. Like, Yeah. Clearly a lot of thought put into this. Like, maybe that's why the third book is taking so long, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, we posted that video that was basically he was saying the third book's taking so long because he wrote kind of, like, the overall plot and then wrote the first book. And it went through so many edits, and then he wrote the second book, and that one went through even more edits, and then he had to, like, make sure the second book matched up with the edits he'd made in the first book. So now he's basically making sure that his third book matches everything from the first two. I thought it was really interesting in that video how he talked about how, like, there was no Waystone in in, the like, his first draft of the book, and I cannot imagine this book without the Waystone. Like, there's so much mystery about how he got where he is right now. In the Waystone Inn. Oh, like, yeah. And this is where this is all leading up to, so it's crazy to think that that was not written in the first draft. No. Um, and even the Waystone Inn, it's like, mystery of how he got there, but then there's also a mystery about what's happening currently at the Waystone Inn, like, with the Skrail and, like, the war that they keep referencing. Like, what is all of right. that? I'm very fascinated. And I think what kills me inside is, like, when this story's finally concluded, it's only going to lead up to the present. There's so much, like, There's so much more coming, like, after the present, I think. Like, I think there's enough content to probably write a second series, or at least another book, about, like, the resolution of, like, the Skrill and the war, and, like, how Kaboth, like, reconciles his future self with all these things that he feels are his fault. Yeah, like, is he gonna, like, stand up and be like, there's work to do, and then, like, take off, or is it gonna be like, and that's the story, and, like... We're all just left there being like, but what happens next? Maybe that'll be book four coming in 2055. (laughs) God, I hope not. (laughs) I mean, I do and I don't. Part of the world ended Chronicles. I know, right? Like, I want more, but also, like, I don't know if I can wait that long. At what price? Anyways, so, uh, speaking of at what price, Kavoth is going on the horns now. Um, One of the Aaron boys comes to summon him, and he has to go up against Ambrose on the horns. Ambrose has accused him of malfeasance for hitting him with the name of the wind, and actually, very cleverly, both read the Rerum Codex, which is just, like, all the rules of the university, so he knows what well, he's done wrong, but he also knows how to retaliate, so he accuses Ambrose of conduct on becoming a member, theft, and destruction of property. So he is, like, ready to go with his argument, but he 
doesn't know what he did. Like, he doesn't really have a recollection of it, so he's having a hard time defending himself. He knows that basically he is going to be expelled from the university for what he's done. Especially because when Ambrose shows up, like, you can tell that he was hurt. Like, he has, like, some bruises, and he's limping, and he put a sling on, which, like, sounds like Ambrose was just hamming that up and, like, added that for extra flair. Very Ambrose-like behavior. Oh, yes. (laughs) Such a little shit. Seriously. So, yeah, they each get to speak their own piece. I don't think Kavoth really has much of an argument to defend himself, but he does have enough to say against Ambrose, uh, and enough to prove that, like, he can go for theft and destruction of property, which Hem, or Heme says is, like, not... He's like, you can't have one and the other. Yeah, he's like, you're double-dipping, and Kavoth convincingly argues that, like, Ambrose stole his loot and also broke it. And I, I think I'm on his side for this one, too. Oh, definitely. Ambrose is such a piece of shit. I love his argument where he's like, yeah, he could have stolen it and not broken it, or I could have lent it to him and he could have broken it. They're not the same. And uh, eventually, obviously, the masters agree to the fact. It's a, like a very narrow vote, but agree to the fact that Kvothe's argument is pretty valid. Oh, absolutely. I think it's clever enough that he persuades them that Ambrose has to pay for each one the value of the loot, so he ends up getting twice the amount that he paid, quote-unquote, for the loot. Oh, yeah, and he totally <laughs> milks it, where he's like, how much did he pay for that? He's like, nine and six talents. What did he actually pay? Do you guys know? I don't know. Yes. You do? Yeah, so it was right after he got his first loan from Debbie, he was walking by the uh, pawn shop, and I think he gets it for, like, either three talents and two, or it's, like, two and eight. So, definitely not nine talents and six. It was, like, like a third of the price. Oh. Yeah, I remember that negotiation now that you say it. I think he started at, like, four talents. He was like, no, it's, like, it's for my brother or something. Like, this yeah. whole bullshit story. Yeah. And it, yeah. And really talked him down. He said the strings were, the strings were old and they weren't. He's like, oh, I don't want to give my brother a loot with a sour neck. He was like, three talents and two, take it or leave it, or this thing will just collect dust on the shelf. And he totally, like, breaks the shopkeeper. He's just like, fine. I mean, honestly, smart of him to just lie and, like, elevate the price, because he knows Ambrose can afford it, and that's, like, a reasonable price for a loot. Um, And then he gets it twice, so he ends up with, like, 22 talents, essentially. Yeah. And it was funny because Ambrose is like, dude, you've never held 10 talents in your life. <laughs> I know, Ambrose knows immediately. He's and like, that's a lie. I think it's Brander, one of the uh, masters, like, yeah, dude, like, we had to pay for you to attend here. We know you're not rolling in the dough. Yeah, how did you, like... you get this? And then all Kavoth, all ashamed, he's like, I want it playing corners. <laughs> like... And they all buy it, hook, line, and sinker. Like, no argument, like... You can't be that good at corners to win that much money. Yeah. I mean, I guess they only know him in, like, an academic context, and he is very smart. So I'm assuming that'd be like saying you won your money at poker. If I knew someone who was really, really smart and they told me they won a bunch of money playing, like, poker or other kind of gambling game, like, I would probably believe it, because there's not really any way you can argue against it. I guess that's true. (laughs) Story checks out. We can do it. (laughs) We need your receipts. (laughs) (laughs) And so this part's actually really interesting because they're like, um, what action against Ambrose do you want to take, Kavod? And he's like, you know, whipping like how many lashes saw it. And he was like, zero. I want suspension for Ambrose from the Arcanum. I'm surprised that they let you pick which one you want. I thought the Masters would decide what the punishment was, not like what you would seek. This is a very interesting court system where the primary punishment is whipping people. I don't really understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like whipping or money, which I guess is kind of similar to ours, where it's like prison or sometimes you can pay a fine, depending on the, like, the uh, crime. I want trial by combat. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I don't really see how it's an effective system. They're also not, like, the law. Because they talk about the iron law in the Waystone Inn and how that's, like, the system of government. So I don't know how the university has its own entirely separate system of governing. And like, I mean, it's like school rules. I guess so, but this didn't happen yeah, at school. Just interesting that the school's allowed to whip people without the iron law questioning that. 
Yeah. And I feel like if you got in, like, a fight on the weekend and then your school was like, all right, we have to punish you now. Like, it doesn't add up. Well, that's, I mean, the whole series of events that happens in Wise Man's Fear where Ambrose eventually does bring the Iron Law against Kavoth. Yeah, it's a lot more serious. This part actually does a really good job of foreshadowing and kind of painting a bigger picture of everything where Kavolt's uh, rationale about wanting to suspend Ambrose from the uh, Arcanum at first, all the masses like, you're just being petty, dude. Like, what? And Kavolt's I'm so surprised it... he makes this argument and some people go along with it. <laughs> no, but it's true where he's like, is this like the type of students that we want? Like, he's doing this out of being petty and like being a jerk. You know, what happens when he earns his giller and we send him off into the world? Are these the type of students we want here? And he's like reminding them that, you know, even just like 100 to 200 years ago, Arcanists were being burned. A lot of places around the world, people are very superstitious. And even people across the river in Imre don't really care for like the dark arts and meddling forces that go on at the university. People are very off put and kind of nervous about people that study there. So they do have a reputation to protect, and I think he kind of really stokes those flames and insecurities among the masters about, you know, trying to maintain a civil body of students. I feel like it would be better to keep someone in the Arcanum so you can keep an eye on them and, like, make sure that they have, like, better morals and values instilled in them instead of, like, sending them off half-trained while they're still kind of a petty person, and you've sent them off and they're mad about it. Like, that seems more dangerous to me. Well, look at Obi-Wan. He trained Anakin, and we all saw that turned out. <laughs> Fair. That's a good point. I never thought about that. Like, if, if they actually did expel him from the the university, he would probably go off and do a lot worse than he's already done. That's what it, like, yeah. and there's also, he wouldn't have the university as, like, like, both wouldn't have it as a safety net, so, like, Ambrose could do a lot worse to him. Mm-hmm. If they expelled him. That's just my, like, take on it. Obviously, there's still, like, laws in this world, but it seems like Ambrose could... Like, he doesn't have to worry about doing malfeasance if he's not in university anymore. Like, he can just do whatever he wants. Yeah. Also, what a terrible story this would make without Ambrose in the next book. Right? True. Kvothe would get off way too easy if Ambrose was just, like... Right? ...allowed to be suspended, and they're like, all right, you win! Especially how much shit he pulls in the second book. Yes. So much. Like with the plumb bob. And... One of my favorite parts. Yeah. Oh, I know, that part is really well, cool. The whole series of events that lead up to him standing trial in court and then subsequently leaving the university for a little while and that causes him... It's like all Ambrose. It's yeah. all fueled by Ambrose and his like feud for each other. And their rivalry, I think, is what causes Kavoth to grow so much as a character like unintentionally it's like the that rivalry is like the best thing for him because it forces him to take certain actions that create growth and development for him I mean he learned the name of the wind he like moves up in the university now because of this yeah yeah not that it's like great to have a mortal enemy but <laughs> like... that's like the biggest thing that Kavoth does in this entire book is that he calls the name of the wind and it's all because of the shit that Ambrose does to him. Yeah. It's very, like, a motivating factor in his yes. life. Mm. It's funny how the people that we hate can motivate us so well. Yes. <laughs> Not just in this book, but in real life. Like <laughs> Hatred, yeah. the ultimate motivator. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this, like, workout video at home, and the guy's like, you're doing this for you, not for your friends, not for your family, and not for your haters. Like, that's how he starts his video, and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm, <laughs> I don't really care, but I guess a lot of people out there, like, care a lot about the people that don't like them and, like, are very motivated by that. Immediately, just a clip shot of Anakin from the uh, six Star Wars movie. I hate you! <laughs> and just, like, working out <laughs> wicked hard. <laughs> Uh, so this whole, uh, sequence of events leads to Ambrose not being, uh, banned from the Arcanum, but Kavoth... Kavoth, like, getting expelled and then immediately getting unexpelled? Yes. Which is a little bit confusing. Yeah, thanks for the cliffhanger there. Like, right at the end of the chapter, like, I think the last sentence is like, that's it, I'm expelled from the... It's not that, I'm paraphrasing, but like, that's it, I'm expelled from the university. And then the next sentence is like, well... (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding! (laughs) 
My yeah, when life I, is when over. When I first heard that, he was like, I was to be expelled from the university. My life was over. And I knew that was coming because on the back of the book, it says he was expelled at an age younger than most people get in. And I, like, just didn't want it to happen yet because I wanted him to get into the archives and, like, there's so much more he needed to learn. So, I like, the first time I read this, I was like, holy shit, this is, like, such a turn of events. Like, this is not what I expected this to, like, to happen. Like, it's a big misunderstanding. He called the name of the wind. It's not his fault. And I, like, took it so personally. But, I mean, obviously it's immediately reversed, so. (laughs) I also think it's interesting how they find him guilty of malfeasance. Um, but the definition of malfeasance is like intentional misuse of magic or whatever they call it. But I'm not sure that what Caboth did was intentional. Like again, like calling back to Harry Potter, like it's kind of like when Harry Potter blew up on March, like it wasn't intentional. It was just kind of like, yeah, emotion yeah, happened an and he did it and he didn't intentionally do it. He just kind of did it. And like, they're all in school to learn how to control their like magical abilities. So you can't expect them, like, until they're done with school to be held responsible for things that they do unintentionally. Mm-hmm. So. Not only that, but, and I might be wrong with, like, the the direct wording, but it's, like, using sympathy to cause harm to another person. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And I don't, like, n- naming isn't portrayed as a subset of sympathy within this. They're, like, connected somehow, but I don't really... I mean... I feel like actively doing sympathy and like creating sympathetic bindings and links and like hurting someone that way is different than calling the name of something yeah we we have two different professors for that we have Aloden, who's the master namer and i think it's Uxadal, the master sympathist so they're yeah, yeah and they're two, two totally unconnected different. things yeah so it's just it's interesting that the rule was technically confirmed as malfeasance yeah it is kind of odd like i don't really think he's guilty of that but Thankfully, they overruled their uh, decision to suspend or expel Kavoth from the university, and instead he'll be receiving six lashes, which still sucks. Whatever, he's already been whipped. I feel like he doesn't really care about that part anymore. But in, like, the same breath, he gets promoted to Rilar. Yeah. So it's like, you're not suspended, you're promoted to Rilar, but you are getting six lashes, so... Here's a bunch of good stuff, and, but you get whipped for it. So, sorry. <laughs> I feel price. like his blood pressure must have just been like, up, right? down, up, down, up, down, up, down this I entire know. time. Like, oh god, I'm getting expelled, blood pressure way up. Just because you're not blood pressure way down. Oh, you've been promoted, blood pressure way up with like excitement and like disbelief. Like, it's just such a roller coaster of like events happening and it just happens so quickly. Like, and it's very much uh, similar to when he was first on the horns for burning uh, Hem or Heme mm-hmm. uh, during that class lesson, and then they promote him into the Arcanum for use of advanced sympathy. That's a good point. I never. So it's like all these like qu- like class like trials of like you did bad, but we're gonna reward you for it. Like <laughs> <laughs> very much a little bit of like Harry Potter syndrome of like you broke the rules. But you're a good kid. <laughs> I don't. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's also confusing. They have to go through like the formality of voting to expel him, and then like voting to repeal the expulsion. Like it's a little bit confusing the first time you read it. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't really get explained very well how they just repeal it. And I think Aloden kind of explains it, but doesn't really because he's Aloden. Yeah, he's talking more about like what it means to be a Raylar and, like, what Kvothe did. He doesn't really talk about, like, why they were able to unexpel him. Right. He does say that, like, he called the name of the wind against someone when he was first learning. Yeah, it was uh, Kilvin that he called the name of the wind against because Kilvin wouldn't tell him some kind of secret. I don't remember what it is. Maybe you have the book in front of you and know, but that's that's how he got promoted to Raylar. Well, we he don't we don't learn the secret, but yeah, he was trying to get something and he got mad and called the name of the wind. It is yeah. like very similar to what you said with Aunt Marge. Like we can't punish everyone who accidentally like blows up their aunt. Sometimes people do magic unintentionally and it's okay. But I do like a lot of how this conversation between him and Eladin goes in terms of how Ellen is trying to explain the power of names. Like not only your personal name, but like the name that is, like, your essence. 
Yeah, I love how he uses the example where he calls that boy Nathan and he comes and and he does whatever. I think it's like, bring these ropes to my office. And Nathan's like, okay, like I'll do it. And Cabal's like, well, you're a master. Like he'll he'll do that because you're a master. And so Illidan's like, well, you're a Rilar, so the wind listened to you. I do like that. I I like that Cabal's like, yeah, you you don't, he didn't obey you because you do his name. You, he obeyed you because you're a master. And like, He's a master namer, and, like, that just gives him a lot of gravity, too, in terms of, like, power over people. But, yeah, it's very interesting that, like, Kaboth is, like, there are names like Kaboth and Eladin, but then there's, like, Tarberlin knew the names of many things, and there's two different kinds of names, and Kaboth already clearly knew that by asking that question, and then Eladin tries to, like, explain that, but it's such a complicated subject. But in a way, him saying that they are one of the same is very important because then in Wise Man's Fear, Kavoth unintentionally figures out Valerian's true name and kind of yeah. then grants mastery or power over her uh, momentarily. It's cool that it just, like, happens. Like, you don't have to, like, study to learn a name. It just no. kind of comes out of you. Mm. And like we were saying in previous episodes, um, I feel like if Kavoth could realize... In the way he would play music to describe, like, feelings or visuals or the environment when he was mourning his parents' death. Like, it would be, like, sunlight in the forest, and he was attributing, like, music to different things. Is very similar mindset in which naming is done. Yeah, I think his, like, connection to music helps his ability to name things. Yeah. Never thought about that. I think it's pretty similar. Sometimes, I think it's in the next book, they they reference, like, singers. And even way at the beginning, Haliak's mentions to cinder that he protects them from singers with a capital s so there's like a theory that singers might be like people who are really powerful at naming and potentially like ex or Jax, the guy in the second book who gets the moon um is like a singer and there's people guess that like both might be a singer too or the the maru were once singers yeah so just interesting speculation for sure um, but then the next question he asks Eladin, also, um, earlier, Nick, the reason that it, um, Eladin called the name of one against Kaboth because he wanted to know advanced bindings and he wouldn't tell him. So that's what this is. Right, was. right. So I don't know what those are. And yeah, that's, that's actually an interesting thing because that's where he reveals to Kaboth that there are secrets that Rolaris gets to know that, that Elias don't. And Kaboth immediately asks about the four plate door. Uh, I love that. I love that all that Eladin will admit to him is that the four plate door exists. <laughs> it's such like a mean so thing. So mysterious. Like, like, yeah, we weren't confused that it did or did not exist, but the fact that you have now confirmed that it does exist make me wonder if people, some people like can't see it or can't, like don't think it exists or something. Like I'm, mm. or are you just being mysterious, Eladin, as per usual? So have you guys theorized about what's behind that door on this podcast yet? I would yeah, love I to a couple hear, times. I would love to hear like the too long didn't read version of what you guys have about it. I think my leading theory, and I will... <laughs> Every time I make a theory, then I think of like holes in it, so then I get more frustrated with my own self. But I think my theory is that somehow the four-plate door is holding the tomb of Eax. And I think the Shandrian are trying to get into that door. And I think the masters at the university are members of the Aenir and they're protecting the door. Interesting. I don't know why they need to get in there. I think there may potentially be a weapon behind the door that EX had. That was my guess. Yeah. Nick, do you have a theory? So my theory is a little simpler. I think there's there's basically more books behind the door that are, it's kind of like the forbidden section, again, call it back to Harry Potter, the forbidden section of the Harry Potter library. Ooh. I'll, um, I'll pull up a quote that's actually in the next chapter. I know we're not talking about this chapter today. It's actually in 88, which we're not talking that's about. That's okay. But, um, I told he's... us to read 88 and then we decided not to, so that was our mistake. So... <laughs> <laughs> this book, so... uh, podcast is full of spoilers, so reference anything you need to reference. Perfect. So um, in chapter 88, we're back at the Waystone Inn again, and they're telling the story of how Kavoth got away from the bandits that tried to assault him. And the quote is, well, first he hesitates, and then the man comes closer with a knife, and Kavoth can see the fellow ain't going to ask again. 
So Kavoth uses a dark magic that he found locked away in a secret book in the university and speaks three terrible secret words and calls up a demon. So I'm wondering if there's some secret books back there behind that four-plate door that only a certain amount of people can get behind. Oh. We already know that the archives have, like, a lack of information on the Shandrian and Amir, so they're, like... It's very well within the realm of possibility that there are other books that have been hidden away for, like, secret access. Yeah. It also seems like a logical, like, plot point that Kavoth somehow ranks up in the university at some point and is allowed to go back there or finds his way back there and then finds all the secret information about the Shandri and the Amy or whatever. That's interesting. I never considered that to be an option. I think I built up the four-plate door so much that I was like... It's got everything crazy behind it. Like, <laughs> it's a, access to the Fey Realm. The See, moon that's... is in there. Yeah, is in there. Like, I've I've had the Fey Realm theory too. I don't. I think that one's a strong possibility as well. That one's definitely still my primary theory, and I think for multiple reasons, the door, in appearance, is for sealing and not for opening. And the fact that it's covered in copper, as we know from... Keeps neighbors in. Yeah, it keeps neighbors in. Like when the um, Eladin was locked up in the rookery, there was so much copper. And somehow copper negates acts of sympathy or naming. Yeah. Hmm. So I think it's almost like rather than... It's, it's treated as a vault rather than a room. Mm. Now, I don't know. I, it's there's it, It's hard to tell. I don't know. I also, I remember, so I was thinking about this last week after we recorded last week's episode where they find that jar that has all the Chandrian on it at the mouth oh, the, the, they like reference that pot that has paintings on it. And um, I was thinking about it and in that picture there is Heliax who has pictures of the moon like painted around him and Heliax and Ex are very similar names. I didn't wow. think about that. I was like, this was like as I was falling asleep one night and my eyes like opened wide and I was like, holy shit, Heliax and Ex, they could be the same person. And that's why there's pictures of like the moon painted around him. So this means Heliax, Ex, Lanre are all the same person. Potentially. In which case then my theory about the four plate door is just out the window because that means Ex is not dead or contained behind the door in any way. Interesting. So... I have to revisit once again what's behind that door. <laughs> I think I need to read this book a sixth time. <laughs> yeah, I need to piece apart every single word in this book. It's just going to be like the Charlie Day like conspiracy theory string board. <laughs> yep, next time you come in this room, it's just going to be like all paper. That's what's taking oh. Patrick Rothfuss so long to write the book, is he's working on the... He doesn't know what's behind the door right now. <laughs> yeah. God, I know. I've watched, like, too many theories about what's behind the door, and they all get kind of, like, jumbled in my head, too, and I think I need to, like, revisit, but I'm just fascinated by it. And I love that immediately, like you said, Kavos, like, okay, if there's secrets I can know, what's behind that door? Right. Yeah, we're gonna tell you that. Don't worry, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll be the first thing you learn. Let's see. Oh, the other things that they talk about here is, like, the sleeping mind and the waking mind, which we referenced earlier when Kavoth was, like, dazed and confused. Um, But the way that Eleanor describes it is kind of interesting. It was like a sleeping angry bear. Yeah, like, your, your sleeping mind, his sleeping mind woke up essentially from anger, and after his waking mind, like, didn't know what happened with his sleeping mind, so his, like, consciousness was basically like reeling with the fact that he had this like angry bear inside of him and his waking mind like didn't know what to do so kind of shut down and that's why he was just like in a big daze and i think it's interesting because he does reference he's like we're gonna have to keep waking up your sleeping mind and learn better ways to control it and like tap in and as we see in wise man's fear there's these really interesting moments where he'll perform like a great feat with like naming and stuff and it comes a little bit more naturally to him and it's less of an intense shock to his mind and his psyche i think eventually it's going to be like too much though because we see so many people have cracked from naming and that's why they have the rookery so i feel like at one point kvoth might like dabble a little too far and and then that might be how he ends up at the waystone in not being able to really do sympathy anymore that's an interesting theory 
It's cool that, like, the knowledge comes at a price, though. It's like, you're able to do these great things, but it might, like, wreck you for life. Like, is the quest for power that important? That's kind of, like, um, it's a relation to, like, Aragon, where the magic costs something to use. And with this, it kind of has that mental toll on you. I read a book when I was younger, and the magic, basically, like, every time you did it, it cost you a little bit of your life. So every time you did magic, it would take years off of your life. So, like, the more powerful the magic, the more your life would be shortened. So people were, like, really careful with trying to not use too much magic. So I like when there's, like, a balance. Like, unlimited magic isn't as fun in a book. That almost reminds me of that movie with Eddie Murphy where he has, like, an unlimited amount of words he can speak before he dies or something like that. Have you seen that one? <laughs> no. That would be really hard for Eddie Murphy. He talks so much. <laughs> <laughs> I forget the name of it. It's actually pretty good, but... And then they combine it with Dr. Doolittle, so he just says (laughs) a few words to animals. (laughs) (laughs) I just like that uh, the last bit of this chapter, like, Elodin gets very, very deep, and then he goes back to being, like, weird and Kvothe doesn't understand, where he's just yelling, blue, blue, blue at the sky, like, trying to explain that, like, a color is something you can't describe, but we all know what blue is, and, like, that's kind of how naming works. Chapter 87, Boldness. And what a series of events this is. Uh, Kavoth is telling Will and Simon what happened while he was on the horns and how he got, like, a ton of money but is going to be whipped subsequently for using malfeasance against Ambrose even though we all disagree and think it's naming. Whatever. He gets six lashes but gets 22 talents and gets promoted and now Aladdin's interested in him, which is, like, all he's really wanted this entire time. Not a bad deal. A pretty good deal, all things considered. Absolutely. Then that kind of segues to uh, Kavoth meeting up with Ari. And I love their interactions. They always have like these like fun little meals where he then plays her music and stuff. Yeah, this is one of my... F- Sorry, this is one of my favorite quotes from Ori where he brings the honey wine and she's like, think of all the tipsy bees. <laughs> yes! <laughs> It's and so I just like, put the book and... down and think about like what tipsy bees would look like because it's the most hilarious mental image to me ever. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, it's so good. You guys know that bees dance to communicate with each other? No. Yeah, so um, it's called a waggle dance, but the way that they communicate where flowers are to each other is they have like they'll walk in a certain direction is like the direction they need to fly in, and then they'll wiggle their bodies in a certain number of times to communicate like how far other bees will have to f- uh, fly to find the flowers. So I just was imagining like tipsy bees all doing this like waggle dance and like having a little rave in their hive. <laughs> it really uh, made me laugh. Oh my god, I love it. Just so cute. But yeah, they always ha- say something like the food that they bring to each other always has qualities to it that are really interesting. Once again, I think this is like both coming really close to naming but not actually like he describes things in ways that are unconventional so i just feel like it's similar how he plays music and stuff like he knows the feelings of things but then when he actually consciously tries to name he's not good at it so they are having dinner and he asks her well he says that he has a question in the bottom of the wine so like she has to drink it before he can ask the question best place to put a question it's a heavy question especially for someone like ori who's so skittish (laughs) Yeah, for sure. She And she gives him, in exchange, she brings him a ring, which is kind of like a foreshadow to all the rings he gets in... Um, wow, oh, yeah. Yeah. But there's also a whole, like, story that's, like, described. He's, like, one ring that's invisible, one ring of bone, one ring of, like, Yeah, something. like, eventually Kvothe collects all his rings, and someone mentions that, like, Kvothe wears, like, seven rings or something. And I think that's one of the rings, mm-hmm. is the one that Ori gives him. But anyway, um... The question he asks her is if he can see the under thing, which is so exciting. I didn't really ever think we would like go down there as characters or like as readers in the book. Like I didn't think the characters would go down there and we'd see more of what it is. And it's fascinating under there. Though I do love where she goes, Kavoth, what a thing to ask a woman <laughs> to see her under thing. <laughs> and like, as we know, like Ari is so like skittish and, and like sensitive. prone to being flighty that he was like, Ari, you're, you're joking, right? And she was like, yes, absolutely. Like, yes, isn't it lovely? I believe is what she says. And I love that response. Yes. Yeah, so cute. So I good. really like her a lot. 
Very whimsical. Yeah, but so they go down into the under thing, and at first it's, like, what you'd expect for, like, under a city, basically. So it's, like, pipes for sewage and water and, like, some tunnels. But then it really changes. And she has names for all the places, so they go through, like, Through Bottom and Grey 12. I think they're the only names we get here. But she's, like, named all the places. And basically it's an entire city underneath the university. Like, there's stairways and doors and, like, full buildings, and they go into an area that he describes, like, as deep as a cathedral, and they can't even see, like, the roof of where they are. So it sounds like literally a full city underneath, and then there's all these big, weird machines underground. Like, enormous machines. And he doesn't really know what any of them do or why they're there, but they... I don't know, they've been there, he says, probably for centuries. And then the chapter ends with, there didn't seem, and he's, like, interrupted and cut off. So we don't get the rest of the explanation of what's in the Underthing just yet. Let's go back to those machines that are that are in the Underthing. Um, and this is also something that we kind of glazed over from the from the chapter previous, is where Elodin talks about how they're used to, like, the university years ago... Um, used to be a lot smaller, um, and I'm wondering if those machines are something from the university of years ago. I think so. And that's the original university. I also have a theory that it, it could potentially be near Terennial, the one city that was saved from Lonray. Oh, shit. The remnants could be under there, and then, so, like, it's not really here, but in, like, the Middle East and stuff, like, cities are just built in the same spot over and over and over again. So, like, I was in a city in Israel once, and, like, you can, underneath the modern city, you can go down, and there's a Crusader-era city underneath it that used to be at ground level. Um, So they're, like, excavating it, but, like, I went through this, like, big cathedral and all these tunnels and, like, buildings, and they're working on, like, excavating, but sometimes you'll just walk past a doorway that is literally just, like, a wall of dirt because they haven't dug it out yet. And so that's how, like, that's what I'm kind of picturing here is, like, there's cities built over other cities and I don't know how like far in the past the old university was or uh Lonray, but it seems like it's probably like Lonray seems like at least a couple thousand years so I wouldn't be surprised if this is a city and then it was the university and then now it's like the modern university and they've all just been built on top of each other damn I know it's enough to like make your head spin it's with so, like speculating it's so weird um have you read the slow regard of silent things, that little companion book about Ari and how I she's have, going yes. down there. And there's like houses and like people's bedrooms and like remnants of old buildings. So it seems like it was a full like village or town city or town. Yes, it down does. There. So I don't know. If I have any like comments about the machines. I'm fascinated by what they could be, but they're like, I have no idea. No, it's definitely some cool stuff. And like they describe a lot of like familiar things both in a uh, slow regard for sound things and even here of like doors and buildings and like a water wheel but then like rusted out metal structures that are like lost to the deterioration of time so it's it's interesting where it's like was it more advanced technology than they have now was it just metal structures like i think it's machines because he's talking about like gears and like leather straps which sound like belts and stuff so it seems like they would be functioning to do something yeah and it doesn't seem like they have things like that anymore so i don't know what they are like i don't know if they're part of like the infrastructure of this old city i don't know if they're like war machines i don't know if it's something from the old university but i hope they come back at some point and we get a little bit more explanation as to what they are yeah. Yeah. Isn't there a lot of like piping and stuff down there too? And I don't think we've ever so mentioned much. plumbing in the, in this world. So no, it's mm, true. <laughs> like there is, it, it kind of reminds me of like in Skyrim, like the dwarven ruins. It's like always like these like large like brass pipes and like tunnels and like underground cities. And... Yeah, it is full of pipes. It, um, it I think just... Ari like fixed a pipe at one point because she is like nervous that people will come down. Yeah. In the slow guard of silent things, like, people will come down and bother her if she doesn't, like, maintain the pipes. And there's, like, a leak or, like, a steam leak at one point from one of the pipes, so she fixes it because she doesn't want people coming down. So I think part of it is definitely still, like... Active. Active and part of the infrastructure of the current university, but there's so much, like, forgotten stuff down there. Yeah, it definitely is really neat. 
it kind of pretty much brings up the end of the chapter of like them just exploring because Kavoth or Coates telling of the story it's interrupted. Gets interrupted by the series of events that occur at the Waystone Inn, which we'll be uh, covering in the next episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't have any more else to say about the under thing. I think we're just gonna have to wait for more information. Yeah, I mean, really awesome sequence of events, and I like how it kind of does a nice way of slowly building up of what's to come with Wise Man's Fear, as far as Kavolt becoming Raylar, him getting in touch with naming and the continual feud with Ambrose. Yeah, that's a big part of the next book. Well, thanks for being on our penultimate episode. Thanks for giving me an excuse to reread these books again. Yeah, reread them! (laughs) Reread! Absolutely. And uh, for viewers on our episode today, our good friend Nick has his own uh, fitness-related podcast. Oh yeah, do you want to plug your own podcast? Yeah, we have a, me and a friend of mine, Alyssa, have a podcast, it's called Fitting in Fitness. Uh, You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, all that stuff, and you can also find me on Instagram, Nick Anderson Fitness, if you are into any fitness-related things besides fantasy books, you can find me there. (laughs) You know, the two things go hand in hand. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Strengthen your body and your mind. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. It was really fun having you. And I think next episode will be our final episode of the book. I'm attempting to try after we do, after we finish up The Name of the Wind, to maybe have multiple guests back for a fantasy book trivia episode. But I don't know how it's logistically going to work over uh, the internet. But if I can figure it out, I will let you know and you'll be back on the podcast for trivia time. Cool. Sounds fun. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was super fun. Awesome. Well, until next time, folks, happy reading. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, check out our website, fantasticbookspod.com. Or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Fantastic Books Pod. Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks.